Hi, David. Financial markets continue to be very volatile, especially in crypto assets. Hi, Alex. Yeah, you're right. The most kind of spectacular feature of recent market volatility was the uh, crash in crypto assets. Uh, after the Fed, as expected, hiked interest rates by 50 basis points and signaled that there's going to be uh, several more uh, interest rate increases to come. I think the reality of tightening liquidity and financial conditions finally caught up with uh, crypto assets, uh, notably so-called stable coins. Um, so, you know, pure or unbacked cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. Um, are really just too volatile to act as a medium of exchange, as a store of value, which are two key uses of uh, money. And, and stable coins were supposed to solve this uh, volatility problem. And there's a stable coin called Terra USD or uh, UST, and that's been pegged one for one against the US dollar. Now, the sort of reserve asset, if you like, backing the peg, wait for it, was a cryptocurrency called Luna. And uh, that was kind of tied in with an algorithm that would control the supply um, of Luna and of UST. And through a sort of process of arbitrage was supposed to maintain the parity with the US dollar. Uh, well, that broke down. It didn't work. Um, the peg has been uh, broken after the Fed raised uh, interest rates. And now uh, Terra USD the uh, trades at around about 10 cents. Um, and lots of other stable coins are now under huge uh, pressure. And, and cryptocurrencies more broadly have fallen um, sharply. Uh, Bitcoin is down around 20% since the uh, most recent meeting of the US Federal Reserve. And it's actually more than halved in value since its uh, 67,000 or so dollar peak last November. But are there any implications beyond the crypto worlds? Well, I mean, Terra USD's stablecoin, um, you know, has gone for a market cap of just, you know, $18 billion. It's now something like $1 billion. I mean, this is, you know, these numbers are far too small to matter from a sort of macro or uh, sort of systemic uh, uh, perspective. But, but crypto assets more broadly, you know, I mean, they had a two and a half trillion dollar market cap at the start of the year. Now, you know, the US subprime mortgage market was around about one point two trillion dollars. And that actually did prove big enough to, of course, trigger the global financial crisis. But those one point two trillion dollars of subprime mortgages back in 2007, um, you know, have been repackaged and leveraged into trillions of dollars of more assets that were held across uh, banks, held across other uh, major financial institutions that, you know, neither understood the risks nor were sufficiently well capitalized to absorb them. And, and while undoubtedly there are retail investors that have leveraged exposure to crypto assets, I, I, I think the amount of kind of leverage exposure to crypto assets of uh, banks, of institutional investors, of systemically important financial institutions is, I think, very um, limited. So I, I don't think the scale of leverage on the crypto market is sufficient, nor is that leverage distributed in a manner that I think would pose a systemic financial risk. But but the wealth destruction that we've seen from the fall in the value of crypto is, is I mean, it's not insignificant. And, and of course, that's come 
um, hand in hand with the decline in the value of sort of mainstream financial assets. So we're certainly seeing, I think, a negative wealth effect on consumer spending going forward. And, and I think it's a kind of useful reminder of uh, the sort of Warren Buffett adage that, you know, when the tide goes out, only then do you discover who's been swimming naked. And I don't think crypto is going to be the only pocket of speculative excess that exposed uh, by the end of ultra low interest rates and central bank liquidity. That's a good adage, David, uh, looking beyond the crypto world. Any other observations on recent market behavior? I mean, you know, volatility has remained very um, high. And I think this really reflects a sort of tug of war between high inflation and central banks raising rates and perceptions of rising recession risk. So this is very much, you know, the sort of treacherous macro cost currents that we discussed in our last podcast, Alex. But I would also observe that at least of late, we've seen uh, the negative correlation between bonds and equities kind of reestablish itself uh, a little bit more. So sell-offs in risk assets have been typically accompanied by a rally in safe government bonds, while days of sort of positive risk sentiment have been associated with rates moving um, higher. But I, I think it's also evident that there is a flaw to how far rates can, can, can fall, given the continued hawkish rhetoric from central bankers and high inflation. Um, we're definitely seeing investors, I think, get more kind of defensive. We're, we're seeing that within credit markets with the relative outperformance of higher rated credit over lower rated credit. Um, spreads on triple C rated US corporate bonds are very much the riskiest um, segment of the uh, credit market. You know, they've actually widened, you know, a couple hundred basis points uh, over the last month or so to uh, more than 1,000 um, basis points. Um, medium term market implied inflation expectations have drifted lower while nominal interest rates have been um, you know, drifting higher. So real rates have, been, have risen. So that's been an ongoing source of pressure on long duration uh, growth assets, including those crypto assets we were discussing earlier. And, and against that kind of backdrop, we've also had the economic news flow, which has not really provided any clarity. It's been actually pretty mixed. We've had you know, China, April retail sales and industrial production, which were dismal. But US retail sales came in actually better than expected. Uh, we have consumer confidence surveys that are in recession territory, but unemployment continues to fall to you know, very low levels, even as inflation prints continue to be high. So the most recent sort of inflation print you know, we had, for example, for the UK showed annual inflation at 9% in April. What's your current assessment of the outlook for financial markets? Yeah, I mean, some some have made the case that we might be getting ready for a kind of uh, uh, bear market rally in risk assets. It's certainly the, the case that investor sentiment is very bearish. And according to the latest Bank of America Global Investor Survey, for example, cash balances um, are at their highest level since 9-11. Um, so investors or active investors and investment managers are pretty, pretty cautiously uh, positioned in, across portfolios. And, and in the near term, you know, maybe we're near the, the, the sort of trough 
in terms of the China slowdown and global supply issues, we're, we're seeing the lockdown of Shanghai um, gradually being eased. Um, you know, the fear of disruption into to Russian gas supplies to Europe has, has also kind of uh, dissipated a little. Um, and in the absence of bad news, maybe that would be enough to support a bit of a rally in risk assets. But, but I have to say, I'm not convinced that beyond a sort of short squeeze, there can be a sustained rally in risk assets until volatility in bond and short-term interest rate markets subsides. And, and I just don't see that volatility going away in the foreseeable future. And that's not so much about uncertainty around where... Uh, the Fed and other major central bank policy interest rates will be at the end of this year. Um, you know, I think the market's got a reasonably good sense of that. You know, the Fed funds rate, I think, and, and the market thinks will be around two and a half percent by the end of this year. The Bank of England base rate probably around two percent, and and the ECB deposit rate will, you know, come out of negative territory and be a, be be at zero by the end of the year. But where I think the greatest uncertainty and source of volatility is, is the question, you know, will policy rates then be at or near their peak with inflation falling towards central bank targets? If, if inflation is firmly on a downward path, central banks can sort of temper any further tightening against downside risk growth. And, and we have a kind of better chance of managing a soft landing for the global economy. But if inflation is, stays high for you know for, for longer than forecast, and that's started to be reflected, uh, you know, in, in rising wages, rising inflation expectations, then central banks are going to keep hiking, and and I think a recession then becomes ever more um, likely. I, you know, something we've talked about a little bit before, um, you know, Alex, but you know, in the kind of lowflation regime that characterized you know the several years uh, prior to the pandemic the sort of distribution of macroeconomic outcomes of of growth and of inflation was actually very very low you know inflation was persistently below target um, that allowed central banks to respond to any sonic shocks to growth any fears around growth with additional um, uh, policy easing and so we were in this environment of you know, low growth, but kind of steady, um, low inflation, low interest rates, and, and consequently low market volatility. I think now the tales around growth and inflation over the next 12 months are very wide. You know, growth could be around its long-term trend um, at the end of this year going into 2023, or we could be on the brink of outright uh, recession. And, you know, against that backdrop, you know, the US federal funds rate, for example, could be, you know, one and a half percent by the end of 2023, because the Fed has been cutting interest rates uh, in response to rapidly rising unemployment. Or Fed rates could be at four and a half percent because inflation is sticky at five plus um, percent. So, you know, it's it's macro uncertainty which is the fundamental driver, I think, of volatility in markets. And and I think that macro uncertainty is here to stay at least for the next uh, several months. Thanks for your time today, David. Thanks very much, Alex.
This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax, or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2022.